since brevity is the soul of wit. More of your conversation would infect my brain. Romeo, wherefore art thou, Romeo? To speak of him as my kinsman, he's a most notable coward, an infinite and endless liar, an hourly promise breaker, the owner of no one good quality worthy your lordship's entertained. I'd beat thee, but I should infect my hand. The lady doth protest too much, methinks. The course of true love never did run smooth. And I'm Aiden. And we are the Bix Pod. Mm-hmm. And today we are here to discuss um, a personal favorite play of mine, The Merchant of Venice. Yes, mine as well. Yeah. Um, it's a it's a, a fun little romp. It's not a fun little romp. What am I talking about? <laughs> this is a depressing as fuck play. But it's also got some fun parts in it. It's a very confusing... That's, that's, that's how I think we'll yeah. approach it. It's a yeah. confusing play. It's a multifaceted play, especially. There's, there's a lot going on. There's a lot of moving parts and interesting characters and uh there's just a lot to talk about so i don't think we should waste too much time we have a fairly not robust set of notes but for our uh general purposes it'll suffice yeah uh (laughs) it's enough to definitely have a a thorough discussion on i think yeah i think so and to start it all off obviously we have our tried and true patented 30 second plot synopsis it's aiden's turn this time and i am jazzed you're jazzed you're ready it's good ready to go all right let's go so uh, Bassanio wants to marry Portia. Portia's rich, Bassanio's poor, but he's a gentleman. He doesn't have any money. So he goes to his good friend Antonio, wink, wink, friend. Uh, and he's like, hey, can I borrow uh, 3,000 ducats? And Antonio's like, no, I don't have any money. So he goes to Shylock, who's a Jew, who's a money lender, And he borrows money from Shylock, but Shylock doesn't want interest. Shylock wants a pound of flesh if Antonio forfeits. Spoiler alert, he does, and then everything happens is settled in a courtroom drama that Aaron Sorkin would love. Oh, a courtroom dun, drama that dun, dun, Aaron dun. Sorkin would love? Yeah. Okay. It's fairly, it's kind of Sorkin-esque. There's a, there's a turn. There's, there's no a, walk and talk. No, but there is a, you can't handle the truth, and it's like <laughs> the strains Terry of Murphy. Jew. Yeah, exactly. That's it. That's the one. <laughs> the law hath yet another hold on you, or whatever the quote <laughs> yeah, is. yeah. Okay, all right, fair. You missed the whole subplot of uh, Bassanio and Portia and the oh, caskets the, the caskets and, and all that, that stuff. Yeah, there was thirty what? seconds, Lindsay. Give me I a break. Understand okay? I understand Thank that. You. Thank you. Um, I, I really think we should, with these synopses, just go with dude meets so and so. Stuff happens in the end. Yeah, because it honestly, it's getting a little ridiculous. Like, how are we going to have to do Hamlet or Macbeth? Dude. <laughs> Macbeth is simpler. Dude meets so and so. Stuff happens. Stuff happens. He gets killed. Yeah, head comes out on you know a pike later. It's it's yeah, it's simpler. I'm not worried about it. The Merchant of Venice was <laughs> written in the late 1500s. Yes. 1590s. Uh, sometime between 1596 and 1599. So it's um, kind of reaching that apex of of uh, Shakespeare's career. So. All the quote-unquote best plays that he's written are still ahead of him, but he's kind of coming into his own. Um, he's written a couple of bangers already. Like mm-hmm. a lot of his plays have have reached these the, the height, the stratospheric levels of um, the heights of Elizabethan popularity in terms of drama. But yeah, this um, one is kind of setting it apart. I, I found yeah. this was noticeably better to both read and watch than any of the previous ones actually uh i especially yeah i mean there were there were some really good plays henry the sixth part two 
Uh, Richard the Third. Richard the Third is great. Uh, Henry the or Part Two. Yeah, I already said that one. Uh, (laughs) No, uh, Taming of the Shrew. I meant they both had ooh in there. Uh, Midsummer is Midsummer is a classic. Yeah, Romeo and Juliet. Yeah, has obviously a great tragedy. um, But but Merchant of Venice really does feel like it's. it's a step up from yeah. from previous plays. Yes. And uh, and there are a lot of reasons for that. I think we'll get into most of them as we discuss. But mm-hmm. uh, as Aiden said, it's it's basically centered basically centered around this um, money lending plot mm-hmm. that uh, Antonio has all of his money is tied up in these mercantile ventures. ventures yes. He's he's elsewhere. a ship owner and he's sent off his ships or to retrieve. Is it a ship owning or is it is it his well, he's, he's a whatever merchant. whatever yeah. he he's in the business of merchanting? He's buying and selling goods. He's yes. an importer-exporter, yes. Art Vandalay. He's Art Vandalay of the time, yes. <laughs> but he's got ships in Mexico, and he's got ships in Tripolis, and he's got ships in England, and he's got ships everywhere. Yeah. So all of his money is tied up elsewhere, and he has none free, no... No, no cap- liquid capital no to, liquid to capital. give to Bassanio, um, yeah. And Bassanio is wanting to woo Portia, who is the fair Portia of Belmont, who mm-hmm. people from all four corners of the globe are sailing in to woo her and win her hand. Um, Antonio, it, yep. Sorry, and I was just going to say it's important to note that Bassanio does this, it, he explicitly says as much when he's talking about uh, why he wants to woo Portia is that he's already in a ton of debt, including he's already, he owes Antonio a bunch of money as well. Yeah, yeah. But he is laden with debt yeah. and his way out is to woo the fair Portia yeah. because her, she's loaded. She's, loaded. she's yeah. absolutely filthy rich and yeah. her daddy died. So she's got it all to herself. So and really whoever does, marries her yeah. will own her and all of the uh, aforementioned wealth. Exactly. So it really does throw shade on that whole relationship from the beginning. Like yes. you don't really, it's, it's, it's easy love, to, it's, but is it's, it's love? But it's easy to forget that that's where, that's the mm-hmm. starting point, right? Yes. Because as that story goes on, it really does seem like Bassanio and Portia do develop feelings for one another or have already had feelings for one another. But, um, but the central relationship at the start of the play is this Antonio Bassanio Shylock um, triangle that's yeah. um, that's being laid out, and and it really is like this is high drama at the very beginning. Like you know, it's it's within the first act. You've got this this whole plot laid out. Antonio has no money. Bassanio needs money. Shylock will give them the money, but if he forfeits the the, the bonds, bond, yeah. um, Antonio must give a pound of flesh, and it's like. Whoa, the stakes could not be higher. Yeah. Um, but, and most productions, like we watched the... Uh, the 2004, the 2004 Al Pacino. Yes, Al Pacino as Shylock vehicle, version. Yeah. Um, they really, uh, they're, they're, it's hard to to do a modern um, version of this play without really focusing on um, the, well, the, the mistreatment of Shylock at the hands of the Christians because yeah. Shylock is Jewish. And as we've probably, maybe we haven't mentioned this, um, just for some historical context, um, Jews were not allowed to be business people. He couldn't, Shah could not be a merchant in the way that Antonio was a merchant yeah. um, because Jews ha- were very limited in what they could do in terms of their businesses. And yeah. one of them was to lend money, and they often lent it at interest because Christians were not allowed to. Yeah. So Jews would earn money off of the loans that they were making. So this was something that. Jews were allowed to do, but were scorned for doing. Yes. And so this is kind of the the basis of it. You get the sense that Antonio and Shylock have a long history mm-hmm. being w- very wealthy people in the same city, but from very different stratas. Yeah. And, um, and that, that is, that's why Shylock does what he does because 
if it had been anybody else, if it had just been Bassanio asking, not on behalf of Antonio, although Bassanio probably wouldn't have been able to leverage 3,000 ducats no. for his venture, yeah. um, I don't think Shadok would have been as contemptful. Is that a word? Contemptible? Contemptuous? Yes, yes. Um, because it's because of the way that Antonio treats Shylock. Yes, which is all off stage. It's all mentioned yeah. in, in uh, it's kind of like a retrospective few passages that Shylock speaks to Antonio mm-hmm. when, first when Antonio was asking the money and then when Antonio's friends are saying, well, you can't actually pursue this bond, right? You're going to take whatever money comes. Like someone else will pay off the, the bond and you'll be all right. And he's like, no, he called me a dog. He does a dog. Can a dog not take money? Like, you know, like he, he asks all these really important questions about um, you've treated me poorly. The gist of it is you've treated me poorly. But now you need something. Now you me. need something from me. I'm going to get I'm going to get what I want out of this arrangement, which is your death by way of cutting off a pound of flesh. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's, uh, it is, I mean, it's where the, the phrase a pound of flesh comes yeah, from, exactly. you know, it's, yeah. it is so iconic because, um, it is such a telling feature of Shylock's motivations that he has been spurned and treated like, uh, a subhuman, like a <laughs> exactly. Um, that, uh, he can use, you know, the human fa- fac- faculties that he does have to extract his vengeance. Yeah. Um, and he does it under the guise of the justice and the law, yes, which yes. we'll we'll talk about shortly. But uh, that it's it's a very uh, dynamic conceit that Shakespeare's created here yeah. because there's there's all these tensions between Shylock and Antonio, Shylock as a Jew, and all the Jewish characters in the play, and the Christians in the play. Um, then there's this other. Uh, angle of the love that's driving the need for all these loans and exchanges mm-hmm. and everything. Um, and then there's this sense of justice underneath. And that's kind of like the three main kind of topics that we're going to, we're going to cover in, yeah. in here. Um, and, and I'm glad you brought up the love angle because we, Aiden mentioned it kind of in his intro that um, Antonio and Bassanio, it's a very, I think I read somewhere, somebody said it, it's a lightly sketched portrait of homosexuality. Mm-hmm. Shakespeare wouldn't have called it homosexuality. Elizabethans wouldn't have that term didn't exist. Um, but it's definitely a same-sex attraction between Antonio and Bassanio yeah. um, that a lot of modern productions play up mm-hmm. um, to make it seem like they had a prior relationship or maybe it's an ongoing relationship that they both know can't go anywhere. Antonio is an older man, usually played by an older man. Um, But, uh, and and so Bassanio is leaving Antonio to marry someone for money, but also because heteronormativity, you know, there there was no future for Antonio and Bassanio. So aside from friendship. Um, which they can still have. Yeah. So Bassanio is leaving him to go marry a woman, marry yeah. somebody else. So there's um, uh, that triangle. So there's the Antonio Bassanio Shylock triangle, and then there's the Antonio Bassanio Portia love triangle yes. that is um, just fraught with jealousies, and and it it really um, that love angle that Aid mentioned is really tense between the three of them and the moving parts that are involved there especially when yeah. you get to the end with the rings the exchange of rings and um uh Bassanio's speech in the courtroom which we'll get to about uh how he would leverage everything that he has for Antonio's life even yeah. his wife yeah. so um so there's that there's those two things Bassanio does leave to go off and and marry Portia and then we're introduced to this other uh, subplot that I guess that's the A plot, the B plot, and then there's kind of this C plot that yeah. is kind of weirdly 
grafted onto the play. But it's also, it, it kind of plays with both of the A and B plots. Because you have Jessica, who's Shylock's daughter. Mm-hmm. And Lorenzo, who is a, a yeah, friend or somebody yeah. of Bassanio and Antonio's. And they're in love. And Jessica leaves her father in the dead of night, steals away with his ducats and um, marries Lorenzo under the cover of darkness and goes off to Belmont with him and Antonio, or and Bassanio, yeah. right? So, um, so that element there where there's uh now betrayal and um it, it's a sharp contrast to the, i guess the other the b the d plot, plot no? the, well the, the b d b1 b2 with portia and her father's will with the caskets that aiden didn't mention in yeah. the in the intro but uh yes yeah, so they're like oh even just thinking about there's a lot going on <laughs> there is but it's not a super long play. No. Like even I mean, we we talked about this watching the Al Pacino uh, version is very very. It's played very straight, very somber, yeah. very almost melodramatic at times. But there's some funny stuff in this play. Yeah, there is. And it doesn't have to be a very long play. There's another version on YouTube. Uh, I don't know what the production company was. It looks like it's from the early 80s. Um, it might have been the BBC production. No, it wasn't. It, it wasn't? Was, I, I don't think so. I think it was a separate one. But in any case, uh, that was only an hour and a half. Yeah. You know, like, you can create a, a fast-moving version of this play yeah. because there are some lighthearted moments. There's Lancelot, the... the uh, Shylock, who becomes... Bassanio's yeah, serviceman. Yeah, it's he's a kind of a strange yeah. character, but he also plays a role in in transferring Jessica from uh, Jewish to Gentile hands. Yeah. Like it's it's a uh, and there's Graciano and some of the stuff that happens in that yeah. with Nerissa. That's another plot and that we didn't even get into. Thing. But yeah, so like yeah. Um, despite all these things happening and all of them having a, a really thick heft to them, um, and the way they interconnect is really quite intricate and uh, very modern by our standards. This is how we would expect four disparate plots to connect in a modern film you would see you know the a plot and the b plot would obviously connect but then obviously there's going but these other ones that are underneath but they're providing motivations for yeah. shylock like shylock's lost his daughter so yeah he's going to go for his pound of flesh he's he has no nothing left he's not going to be able to yeah. pass on his tribe mm-hmm. um because his tribe has now abandoned him by yeah. going and marrying a christian so like it provides this whole other avenue for his character that yeah. is lacking in some of uh, his earlier plays where where you don't really get this sense of uh, the quote-unquote villain. I'm yeah. using that here, but yes. Shakespeare's audience would have viewed him as the villain. You don't get that in Aaron the Moor. You no. know, like even when you add the baby that shows up on his doorstep and he's like, oh, it's my baby. Um, it's it's just ham-fisted. It's just added on. There's no kind of, it just comes yeah, in and exactly. then it's, it's dropped and then he wanders off. It's, it's, I've used this before. Aiden will laugh because I say this a lot when we're watching TV. Um, when a, when a, a TV series starts to fall off for me, it's when the plot is driving the character motivations mm-hmm. rather than the other way around. So yeah. in Titus Andronicus, it felt like Aaron's actions in that scene were driven by plot needs yeah. rather than by any kind of inherent um, character motivations that he might have had. Yeah. Whereas The Merchant of Venice, each of these characters is really very well thought out. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so Shylock especially has, like, the scene where he... We don't see it. We hear it from other characters where they say that he was wandering around the streets of Venice after his daughter has left him, um, lamenting, oh, my daughter, oh, my ducats, my daughter, my ducats. He can't really decide or he's wailing for both. Mm -hmm. Um, It shows the 
I mean, it's played for laughs, kind of, in, in a sense that these Christians are mocking him. Yeah. But as a as a modern reader, it's like, well, yeah, you can see that a person can be two things, right? Yeah. Like he can be he can be upset over the loss of his daughter, and that can inform his decision to seek vengeance. Yeah. Um, but he doesn't want the ducats so badly that he'll take six times the amount when yeah. Portia offers it to him through Bassanio. Um, he still wants that vengeance yeah. because of all it's it's the cumulative weight of all the wrongs that have been foisted upon him and the nation of, of Israel, right? Yeah, like yeah. the people yeah. of the Jewish faith that have been so mistreated, um, which is so complicated because at this time in, in Elizabethan England, there, there, the Jews had been expelled for yeah, hundreds 300 of years, years yeah, or 200 yeah. years or something by this point. So it's unlikely that Shakespeare would have had a lot of con like contact, contact with, with yeah. Jewish people. There were Jews who still lived in London, but, um, you know, like Amelia Lanier, who's supposed to be the, the, dark, yeah, the lady, dark lady, right? Yeah, I mean, she yeah. was from a Jewish family. Yeah. So, I mean, these are... But for him to, to so artfully sketch out um, a complex portrait of someone that most English theatergoers at the time would not have, A, would not have had any contact with, but would have just automatically assumed were villains because yeah. of just the biblical yeah. stories and the prejudice yeah. that they have is yeah. like that's what I, I mean I'm getting way off tangent <laughs> here but it just it's it's what makes the play so fascinating for me yeah and um, to go back to uh, the the loves tying yes. this all back yes. together is that uh, there's so Shylock loving both his ducats and his daughter um, is is kind of indicative of how you're supposed to view his character. I think right. everyone else, uh, and I think this is Shakespeare's prejudice of his time uh, leaking through, is that love is foremost. You know, right. Bassanio needs the money, but only for love. He's right. going to go find uh, uh, Portia because he he loves her. Well, and but, and, and, but and not really because we already talked. He's he's in it for the money as well, right? So, um, but the, the other sorry, sorry, just yeah, go ahead. The yeah. the other part of it is that he doesn't want to engage. Antonio in that bond to Shylock or engage Shylock in yeah. because it could lead to his friend's death. So his love, Bassanio's love for Antonio is also superseded. Like the money is secondary. Yes. Yes. For Even most though of it's the primary. Exactly. Yeah. And that and that's really where the play gets really interesting is the the, the idea that these financial obligations yeah. um, and the personal obligations become so intertwined that it's actually Shylock who kind of winds up summarizing it best in My Daughter, My Duckets. Yeah, you know, yeah. he's he's so overwhelmed by um, and th- this was his living like his living was money lending so yeah. if he had no capital to lend he's going to starve to death like yeah. he's he's not in a position where he can just you know pick up a trade and start working yeah. because he was banned from this by uh, by the fact of him being Jewish yeah. so like he this was his whole livelihood it's not just yeah. like wealth for wealth's sake yeah um, and that's something that I think is easy to kind of forget when uh, the Elizabethan audience of the time would have been like oh yeah that guy he's he's just as upset about his yeah. ducats because he's such a materialistic kind of jerkwad because he's Jewish <laughs> and yeah. you know that would have been the preconception but it actually works quite well yeah. um, to a modern viewer to realize like no this was his whole life is in these two things his his livelihood just like if a butcher had lost their hands and was unable to be yeah. a butcher anymore yeah. they'd be upset about losing their hands yeah. him losing all his money is is a major problem and of course he also does love his daughter and so there's just that interconnection there that's that's really interesting. Sorry, Lynn's going. No, ahead. it's it was just I was just gonna say it's always surprising to me um, 
because I forget about the moment when Tubal, his uh, another Jewish moneylender, mm-hmm. um, who actually Shylock has to borrow the yes. money from Tubal yeah, to another get to Antonio. Land over there, yeah. But um, Tubal comes back with news of Jessica and news of um, Antonio's ships being lost. And Shylock hears that uh, Jessica spent four score ducats in one sitting at dinner and may have pawned off a turquoise ring for a monkey. Yeah. And it always surprises me, that line, I forget about it every time I read this because he's like, I had it of Leah, his, Jessica's mother, when yeah. I was a bachelor. So yeah. it was something that it had sentimental value to him. And he wouldn't give it away for anything. He wouldn't he have given yeah. away for a wilderness of monkeys. Mm-hmm. And, and that, I think, yes, there are Christian characters in the play, the children in the play, the, um, I forget, Solerio and Solanio, mm-hmm. making fun of Shylock for my daughter, my ducats. But that... That line where he talks about the ring is so, um, it's, it reminds me every time of, of the human uh, quality, I guess, of that, this whole transaction. And I think that is, you know, it, it hit me, Aiden, when you were talking too about, um, and this maybe moves into your point about lending, but that love underpins the lending relationships mm-hmm. that, that love and money lending are all transactions. Everything mm-hmm. in this play is transactional in nature, yeah. right? It's, um, I'm going to love you in exchange for the money. Like even yeah. Portia, when, well, when yeah. Bassanio, <laughs> when they actually wed, she's like, and and it's clear that these two have affection for each other, but she's like, everything I have is now yours. Yeah. I'm going to give you my ring that symbolizes that the 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 circle of our you know, yeah. the, our relationship, yeah. right? Um, but it's very transactional, yes. right? It's like, and even yeah. And even uh, the other one that we hadn't talked about yet much was the uh, Portia's love for her father and her father's love for her. Yeah. Um, and that in itself is a financial contract because yes. it's it's three boxes that determine the fate of this woman. Yeah. Um, she has no say, no choice in the matter. Yeah. She says that over um, and over many again. Many times. Ten you know. times the word choice she, is used yeah, in the she has an oath. She has a contract that she basically was forced to sign with her father yeah. that lets uh, her entire fate be decided by the any man of, yeah, choosing a box. Yeah. And it, the boxes even themselves are based on value. It's gold, silver, and lead. And it's it's, you know, the, the one that you think has the least value actually has the most because she, yeah. her picture's inside of it. Um, but it's, it's the transactional value of these metals yes. that's, that, uh, drives the first two suitors, Morocco and Aragon, uh, you know, to go the wrong way because yeah. they view, oh, the precious metals are where the value is. Yeah. Um, and you know, so picking those chests must lead me must to lead Portia to that I, treasure. exactly. Yeah. And it's, um, yeah, just, it's, it's really quite uh well connected in that way the mm-hmm. fact that everything in this is contractual it is uh based on money it's based on wealth and it's based on uh, everybody needing uh a living essentially yeah. like everything this is a kind of a workplace draw <laughs> really <laughs> at the end of the day i mean outside yeah. of the love triangles and everything yeah. um it's it all has a mercenary flavor to it um yeah. and so it's it's brilliant because you might not pick up on that the first time you read it or the first time you watch it, um, but as you watch more and more, you realize all these characters are driven by that similar kind of approach. Except for maybe uh, Graciano and Narissa, their love seems pretty pure because they're just on the side. They're just a toss. Well, yeah, and it, it's it's yeah. <laughs> I mean, theirs is more thrown into counterbalance. Um, 
the the courtroom scene doesn't happen. You know, yeah, I, yeah, Well, I yeah. guess you could do the whole play without Nerissa and Gratiano. There's nothing really. Yeah, that yeah. Both they those characters just that. add to the to the. It doubles up. The, yeah, yeah. It, You know, we lo- we know Shakespeare loved doubling things yes. up. So having two women wed two men and exchange two it's rings twice and have good, the two obviously. men give the rings away, you know, um, it's true. to the women who are cross dressing. It's all, yeah. That's that's kind of a, a funky little plot device, but yeah. it's but it, but it is. Uh, I I I just think that's that's something that as you watch the play uh, and dive really deep into it uh, yeah. as we've done over the years, having you know, I think I read this for grade ten. I know you didn't. You I don't did remember Romeo the first time I read it, but because we didn't read it in our Shakespeare class. We no, but I had read it. I, I had read it at that point. Yeah, so and I we've seen it a couple times yeah. now. Yeah. Um. But yeah, once you get more into it, it's just it it adds this dynamic, and I think that is part of what makes. Shylock's such a great character in this mm. because it's not the half a Junot eyes. Uh, you know, that speech is incredible and it is amazing that it was put on and that, you know, Shakespeare wasn't run out of town for being a Jew lover or something like that. You know, like he was, you know. We can was, talk about that a bit and, you know, yeah. some different interpretations of that. But yeah, but I mean, it is it is quite a, a speech for an equal treatment of human beings in, yeah. in some way, shape or form. Yeah. Um, and I think the whole play supports that interpretation through giving all these characters shady motivations and uh, giving them, uh, you know, the appearance of love for love's sake um, and then undercutting it with all these other pieces. Well, and and I mean, just really brief side note, you mm-hmm. said that there's a mercenary angle to all of this mm-hmm. and I couldn't help but think that mercenary and merchant share the same root word. <laughs> yes, they do. So it's not like it's this, is a, this is a huge stretch so here. Mercantilism. Mercantilism, yeah. yes. <laughs> so it just, I mean, it's, it's, yeah. There's no getting away from it in no. this play. This is this is a play about um, about money and about love and about love of money. Um, but the the idea that all of these characters um, are multifaceted mm-hmm. and have so many different motivations and 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 they are so well developed that that you understand where they're coming from. Almost every time they make a decision, you're like, okay, this tracks with what they've, um, with what we know of them. Yeah. I think it makes it hard to pin the blame for anything, but also makes it hard to root for anyone. Yeah. And this, this play is really, I struggle with it. I say it's my favorite play, not because it's a fun play, but because I do like to grapple with it. Yeah. Because every time I watch it, I find myself liking different characters and disliking well, it's, other characters. It's really dependent on the presentation it and the, the direction and stuff. Because like yeah. Yeah, the Pacino one, it's obviously, you know, you have the star role. It's yeah. it's Shylock's play. Um, I've seen other productions, though, where he has played fairly villainous. Um, and well, we saw a production where they ended up with... Um, Shylock leaves the stage during the courtroom scene and you never see him again. Yep. And uh, and the play ends with a conversation between Lorenzo and Jessica, correct? Yep. So Jessica is on the stage at the end and I believe this production brought Shylock back out so it was the two of them at the end of the play, which is, adds a different flavor to, yep. to things when you, when you look at it that way. So it does really depend on it. I think a modern audience, at least a post-Holocaust audience, is going to be really hard-pressed to find... Um, find ultimate fault with Shylock. We may not like him as much because the play doesn't leave. There's room to like him, but there's also, I mean, the the things that he's doing are not good. No, right? No, I, yeah, he's he's um, very pigheaded in his 
desire for vengeance. Yeah, um, but yeah. it's 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 a far cry from the way that like the the history of Shylock as a um, as a sympathetic character go back to like the the eighteenth century. Mm-hmm. But I mean, far more recently, like during the you know lead up to World War Two, this and and during the war, this was one of the most popular plays to be put on, and it was done in a very anti Semitic way. So, mm-hmm. and and I don't think the play ever really recovers from that. So you have to treat Shylock with more sympathy now because otherwise the play doesn't work. You can't you can't play this with him as a straight up straight up and down villain. No. Um, well, I don't think the pl- the text ever allows that, that either, yeah, but, and but you so, can so, adapt it to do that. And that that was what I'm getting at. And and Shylock is the perfect vehicle for it, but every one of the characters in the play suffers or benefits from this in varying turns because um, the last point that Aiden wanted, the last big theme, was justice, mm-hmm. right? And, uh, and it's hard to know who deserves justice who deserves what they get in the end and who doesn't because each of the characters yeah. Well, yeah, yeah but they're they're sketched out in shades of gray and that's what is so fascinating about this and it shakespeare was not the first person to do this um marlowe was very famous for um making characters be very multifaceted and making ex- especially villains mm-hmm. you know be you know yeah faustus obviously. Yeah, yeah exactly yeah. and then and then shakespeare takes it to all new levels with characters like macbeth and iago and so um but with shylock it's like it's such an interesting choice too because he was jewish right mm-hmm. because shylock is is anyway um <laughs> this was all a very i keep getting off check um a long-winded segue into the last kind of Overarching. Well, we didn't uh, get to the theme. second one. Either. We did talk about lending. We talked about money. Bri- bri- Do you want to? You want to come there, back to? Well, lending? I, I think there's. I think there's a lot to actually uh, discuss about uh, how the lending works in the play. Like the, you brought up, uh, one of the key points is that uh, who actually borrows this money is Bassiano from. Uh, oh, the other Jewish guy's name. Tubal. Was, Tubal. Uh, you know, that's who's actually lending the money. Yeah, and then you got these, these. And there's a bunch of middlemen yeah. in, the, in the middle. Um, and yet the middlemen are where the. The, uh, the drama is. and the story, uh, yeah, unfolds. So I think it's 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 borrowed drama in a sense. You know, it's it's very much um, a, a kind of statement on on commerce that yeah. uh, that this is what's really driving uh, the wedge between the people is the fact that a the play would have you believe Sherlock because uh, he's a a usurer mm-hmm. um, he's inherently bad so therefore he deserves the the scorn of the audience mm-hmm. um, but the more you, you again, the more you kind of examine the play, you realize that he's not actually the user in this case. He's borrowed the money from someone else. He's he's just a, a chain in this this a machinery chain. of yeah uh, that that connects all these characters together uh, through the need for something that they don't have. The only one who's rich in this whole thing, I mean, Antonio gets money at the end as well. His ships come in literally. Um, yeah. But Portia is the only one and she's bound to not use her wealth. Yeah, her wealth is Bassanio's. Yeah. It's her father's well, and it's Bassanio's. It's her right? father's like, and then whoever opens the right casket. Yeah. I mean, uh, so there, there's no real source of financial power in this play um, that can utilize it. Um, and that that's where it gets interesting with the, the law and justice because... Uh, Usually, you know, the rich and the powerful, um, you know, have some sort of sway over the the uh, s- 
story in, as a whole. Like the, at the end, you have the dude who comes in and he's like, yes, I have to follow the law. But that's already been all set in motion by people who don't have any money, who don't have any power, really. Right. A, a, a powerless Jew has set up this contract yeah. and Antonio is going to have to face the knife um, because of the power of this kind of impartial uh, thing that's 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 completely separated from money and power. Um, the law yeah the law and it's 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 just a it's just an interesting extra dynamic to to add to the whole web of interconnections uh the borrowing kind of figures between all these different characters um it's very convoluted and like again you're just the first couple times you watch you're just like who's boring what okay yeah shylock and antonio but it doesn't really matter right until you start to dig deep into it yeah and and there's no need to do there's no need for uh Shylock to borrow the money. Shylock could have just said, yeah, okay, I'll give you the money. But he didn't. He added, you know, Shakespeare added this extra layer to it to, to why? Why would, why would he do that? And the only reason I can come up with is to say, like, there, there's something else going on there beyond just a statement on Jews as moneylenders. It's the fact yeah. that everybody can well, and become tied to these, and this, to this these is, material This is in the early, early days of the mercantile system, which would become our modern-day capitalist, capitalist system. Yeah. So, I mean, there's, there's something... Um, Maybe maybe there's a recognition of the evil that's inherent in a capitalistic uh, financial economic structure, right? Yeah. That that is burgeoning at this time, at this point in history. So is this a, is this a recognition of that? Yeah. Well, I mean, um, yeah, the fact that you could capitalism. sign away a pound of your flesh <laughs> right. for money, like that. That's like I, this is going to go way off topic here, but uh, there was a, a really interesting article I read a couple of years ago. It was talking about uh, capitalism in China, how it was growing, and and uh, you know people were really starting to discuss, you know. Uh, grapple with the the ethical questions of money yeah. and freedom, and you know people would ask like, well, okay, like they went to like a university, uh, and they would just stand up on a podium and, and ask questions of the yeah. students, and the students would yell out answers and everything. Yeah. And one of the questions is like, okay, well, should people be allowed to sell organs? Right. And it's one of those questions. It's like, you know, some people would say, you know, it's your body; you can do whatever you want for it. If yeah. you want to use it for money, then that's fine, and that makes sense. Some people are like, no, you shouldn't be. Able, nobody should be able to buy an organ. Maybe yeah. it's not so much the selling; it's the fact that yes. the rich can just buy whatever organs they need. You well, know? and that and sorry, that's what when Solario and Solano ask Shylock what he yeah. wants with the flesh, he's yeah. like, well, to bait fish, fish. with all like yeah. that's, I don't need it; it's useless to me. Yeah. I I want it it because it's in the bond. And the bond is a legally binding contract. It's been notarized. The the law of the land. Even though Shylock is not a citizen of Venice because Mm -hmm. as a Jew, he would have been denied citizenship. He's still, Antonio is bound to that law. And, and that's that's how it is. Exactly. And, and, and these are the questions exactly. that th- this is kind of like it's not a direct comparison, but like this is where Elizabethan England was in terms yeah. of asking those questions. Yeah. This was one of the big things is like how far can the law go in enforcing a contract that is life or death for someone? Yeah. And um, but the two people enter into as as yeah, consenting, consenting adults. Bassanio yeah. is the only one who's like, dude, don't do this. Like <laughs> nothing is worth this. Yeah. And Antonio is like, no, 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 I'm fine. I'm, I'm fine. I, have, I got so many ships coming in. Yeah. And then it's just, it doesn't take much. It takes, you know, your ships to crash or the rumor of your ships crashing. 
is enough to send your stock in life into a tailspin. I mean, the parallels to what we're seeing right now with the economic collapses Mm -hmm. globally from the pandemic and the responses of governments around the world shows how fragile this whole system really is. And this is is exactly what Antonio and Shylock um, and Bassanio are all kind of, well, Bassanio to a lesser degree, but they're all dealing with this in Mm -hmm. this play. and and yeah, like and Portia should, too, and Portia <laughs> with, her, yes, with exactly. her father too, you know, right? Like yeah. it's it's just the the this very fragile house of cards that the whole thing is built on can be undone with one immoral maybe yeah act yeah. or or demand yeah, and so um, so the lending the the love that underpins the lending is um, is all fine and good, but when it comes into contrast or whatever with the law and the justice that's meted out by the law or that Mm -hmm. needs to be meted out by the law you get these fascinating moral questions and that's where where the play really hinges on that courtroom scene at the end so um let's briefly talk about about what is happening there because um portia and narissa have already married uh bassanio and gratiano Mm -hmm. in belmont the men have gone off to go help Antonio, who they know is now in dire straits. But Portia and Narissa follow them and dress up like a young lawyer's a young lawyer and her clerk, his clerk. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so as Balthazar and the clerk, they come in and they're the ones who actually quote unquote save the day. And I always love this scene because Portia reads the contract mm-hmm. and and recognizes that yes, Shylock is entitled to pound his of pound flesh. of flesh. Yeah. Um, there's nothing, even though she gives her very impassioned, the quality of mercy is not strained speech, um, which is ironic as all get out when you really look at it. Um, she realizes that the limits of her, and I don't know where she gets the legal knowledge from. I mean, Portia. Well, yeah, that, that is one thing that she's very much a deus ex machina here. It very much so. But, but you get the sense that she, she's putting on masculinity mm-hmm. in a way because she's almost suggesting that that masculinity is something that if you just wear the right clothes yeah, and affect the t- posture, you can be a man too. Yes. And then, and so that's what she does and she does it better than any, she outmans all the all men the in men. the room. Yeah. So it's, it's a comment on masculinity yeah. almost in yeah, a way, definitely. which is a conversation for another <laughs> podcast, I think. But, um, but she, Shylock is so focused on the letter of the law. There's not even, he, he won't even allow a doctor to be present to help Antonio lest he bleed to death because it's not nominated in the bond. It's not stipulated that a doctor can be present. So he is so focused and that's how Portia traps him because she says, well, there's nothing in here that says you can have any blood in here. If you can draw a pound of flesh without spilling one drop of Christian blood, have at her. And she, at that point, Shylock is like, well, no, I'll just take twice the, I'll take, I'll take Take 6,000 ducats. She's like, no, 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 you'll have your bond. You're you're going to have your, your pound of flesh. And in the end, he can't do it, but because he's made the threat to do it, that's where everything falls in for him. And then all of a sudden he's, um, because he's made a threat on the life of a Venetian citizen, his his life is forfeit um, unless the Duke give him mercy, mercy that he wasn't going to show Antonio. Um, but then Antonio shows him mercy and says, I, I will give your half, my half of the money that the half of his money is going yeah. to... Con- yes, yeah, so 
he's going to give it to Jessica and Lorenzo, but you must become a Christian. And at the end of the play, uh, Shylock is reduced to being ostracized from his tribe, Mm -hmm. forced to become a Christian, whom uh, a group he hates. Yes. Um, He's lost all of his money. He's lost his livelihood. He's lost his daughter. He's lost his standing. He's lost everything. Um, And it's all because of his adherence to his blind revenge, Mm -hmm. but his adherence to the letter of the law. Um, I have a bunch that I want to say about this this courtroom scene, but, but why don't we talk a little bit about justice in this let's use this to to kind of talk about yeah wrap it around yeah because it, i mean it is it, it is the question of what is justice in this play yeah. is it like does does shylock receive justice here because he was so as you said he was so focused on the letter of the law that he didn't he didn't read the letters well enough yeah uh so he got played at his own game in the sense of like well it's not in the bonds so therefore it can't happen yeah um you know, is is that a sense of justice? Is it um, is the justice of you know the 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 traditional reading of this has always been well in in Shakespeare's times, converting him to uh, Christianity would have been seen as a as a good thing. Mercy, yeah, yes. a great exactly. It saved has his soul. Access to the afterlife, to heaven. To exactly. heaven. Yeah. So is that a justice? Like yeah. even though you rob him of everything else, but you save his soul. Yeah. Um, sensibly, you know, is that a sense of justice? Yeah. Like the the play is so concerned in this act is really just like the one scene that's really yeah. kind of talks about this topic but it it permeates throughout because um was the bond just again it's coming back to yeah. that question of like can you enter into a, an agreement where your life is at stake for yeah. money like is that is there any sort of justice that can ever be found in a contract mm-hmm. like that yeah um and it's in who who knows it's it's so well, that's, that's the philosophical so underpinning of yes. this play and what makes it so much more interesting and su- such a leap up from the previous plays that shakespeare's been writing mm-hmm. i mean there have been questions kind of peppered in here and there about you know all of these issues pretty much are dealt with in other ways and other plays yeah. but never with such um startling clarity yeah. in this one act it's literally just act four that's what yeah. this is about um and yeah i think the question is it's it's less about does he get justice like what is just right is the law just in yeah. in demanding this of someone who doesn't have citizenship status at all is denied the basic you know means to support himself um in any other way than this way that he's been given that you hate him for yeah. um like where's the justice in that and the play written in 1596 or whenever is making you ask that question it's yeah. fucking amazing like it, <laughs> it really, really is, is fascinating yeah um and i mean there's all kinds of of stuff wrapped up in you know uh I was I was actually rereading one of my old university essays and I came across the uh, the idea that there the um, this was a very common practice to to have Jews convert to Christianity mm-hmm. um, and in England at least at the time uh, back in Henry the Third's time they would they would take all of the money from the the. The, the, converting, yeah. the converted Jew would give all of their money to the state, and then they would be housed in this. I think it was called the Domus Conversarum, which was like mm-hmm. a, a like house a, yeah. of the converted, yeah. and and then they would live their penniless existence in like basically a boarding house, right? Um, and eventually, it became too much to upkeep, so half of the money would go to the state, and the other half would stay with the converted, um, so that they could 
pay for their... Yeah, they could get, move on and yeah. start living, yeah. Um, because it's not a good thing to keep someone on welfare for their whole lives. <laughs> Apparently, yeah. you yeah. know, even kings were dealing with these <laughs> issues. Um, but, uh, so these are, these are very real um, concerns. Even in Elizabethan time when... Uh, there, the the quote unquote Jewish problem. That's a terrible way to put no, it. No, but that's how but they But there were weren't it, right? there weren't a, a whole bunch of of even converted Jews in in Elizabethan no. England. Probably like they, this was not something that was immediately present. Yeah. But um, but the dog whistle is there, right? Mm-hmm. Same with the Christian blood part. Jews yeah. would have understood this as as like a dog whistle to the the Passover. Um, slash Easter stuff, yeah, yeah. stuff that, yeah. you know, Jews would kidnap Christian children and use them in blood sacrifices. Yeah. Like this was this was a very clear call, clarion call to these um, to these audience members mm-hmm. who would have understood what was really at stake here and probably would have seen this as, yeah, this is he's getting off better than he deserves. Yeah. He should be hung. Like Gratiano says, like uh, you've got two godfather. I can't remember what he says. Yeah. You should have ten more. Meaning a jury should sentence you to hang for this, yeah. right? Like that's what I would rather see. Yeah. Um, and he probably spoke for a lot of the audience members in yeah. saying that. Well, especially after Shylock had all these opportunities, like yeah. that. That scene is built in such a way that it, it's supposed yeah. to lead you towards, like, yeah, he's getting his. You know, mm-hmm. um, well, everything up to that, he's been given lots of opportunities, even in previous scenes mm-hmm. and previous acts, to show mercy, and yeah. he just can't. Yeah. He's incapable of doing that. But then to flip that Portia and the Christians mm-hmm. have the opportunity to show mercy and that's in the Bible that's something yeah. that Jesus says to be merciful to turn the other cheek yeah. and do they do that no not really they don't yeah. I mean so are they even are are they being just are they getting justice for the wrongs that have been committed against them yeah like it really does depend on who is asking and and yeah. like and that's not uh, you know the law can't be subjective and yet it is and yet it is right and well, so and that, it's and that's where the very the play, problematic well exactly and that's where the play hinges on, is on the the idea um not the idea but the the conceit that Portia walks in and bifurcates this problem into the spirit of the law and the letter of the law right. is then also when when you focus on the letter of the law um, you lose all flexibility. But then yep. in the end, he, they wind up being very flexible with the law. Oh, and the yeah. Duke is like, yeah, you're going to live. You have to become a Christian. Like he just sets out all these things that are completely outside of the yep. law. So um, she's it, she's kind of always driving towards the spirit of the law is this. Um, and here's how it's going to play out in a justice system. Yeah. Um, and you get to see that in, in effect. You know, if they follow the letter of the laws, as Shylock would have, he would have had to been killed yep. and, and all of his property would have been given away. Um but she kind of drives it back towards the spirit of the law. Mm-hmm. But the spirit of the law is not very forgiving still to Shylock. Um, and so... Well, it is if you're if you're an Elizabethan yeah, Christian. Sure, but, sure. But, uh, you know, it is still pretty hard. It is, yeah. It's um, incredibly harsh. So it, it, just, it just brings into question this whole idea of um, that the law and mercy and justice are intertwined because Portia shows there's a lot of 
flexibility and wiggle room there. And it's literally just her words saying this. And she's not a lawyer. She's not a doctor. She's none of these things. You as the audience know that. Yeah, Um, if I were Shylock, I'd be appealing that. Like, 100%. You know what I mean? mean, The fact that they reveal it at the end of the play and they're like, yeah, we were the doctor and the clerk. And it's like... Right, you know, like, and and you're just like, okay, that's word about that has got to get out somehow, yeah, right? Like they're yeah. surrounded by servants and all these things. I'm yeah. like, yeah, Shylock's got a good point to make here, but um, yeah, it, it's just it, it provides so much um, moral ambiguity to the play. Well, they want to have it both ways, yeah, you know, yeah. and and yes, Shylock is very clear in the the letter of the law is is king and. And Portia is very clear that the spirit of the law, until it serves her purpose, the spirit of the law is, but the spirit of the law is what wins the day because the Duke, you're right, is able to be flexible and is able to say, well, no, I, I ultimately have final say here. Mm -hmm. And, um, and it's kind of, I mean, it's unfair. It's not fair. And, and maybe the argument could be made that um, we, t- we talk about this in modern day with the legal system that we have now, you know, based on any common law uh, legal system is going to be up for interpretation. And you're going mm-hmm. to have um, previous cases and precedents that are set that are going to dictate how future cases are, are handled. And, um, and the will of a judge at any one time reigns supreme. And, and it, yeah, we elect these people to high office so that they can be the the best arbiters of justice in our society. But um, but there's there's definitely times when you question whether or not a just uh, decision has been made, especially when you have things like a death penalty at the end of it. Mm-hmm. And in this case, um, it's maybe not a literal death penalty, but it's a death for Shylock, yeah. and and that just like the bond if you have if you sit there and you question whether or not the bond is morally right Mm -hmm. to to enter into this kind of agreement over a pound of flesh and have antonio's life at stake you have to question whether or not the end justifies the means for these characters Mm -hmm. whether or not shylock's end is a just ending and if you don't then you have to face up to your own prejudices here because the only reason you're acting differently is because you're viewing shylock differently than Mm -hmm. antonio and in the end really i aiden maybe questions this but Antonio and Shylock really are have a lot in common. They're two of the only characters, aside from Portia, who have any kind of upward mobility, who have any kind mm-hmm. of capital. Even though Antonio's is tied up elsewhere, yeah, he comes flush at the end, and Shylock already was. So they're both outsiders mm-hmm. to a huge degree. Antonio is outside the the love that Bassanio and Portia have, even though you know his love for Bassanio could never be fully realized in any kind of you know, legal capacity. And mm-hmm. Shylock is an outsider because he's Jewish. Yeah. They have a lot in common. Um, and in the end, uh, Shylock demands justice and doesn't get it. Antonio isn't necessarily demanding justice, but does he get justice in the end? He shows mercy, his kind of mercy. His version of mercy, yeah. Shylock is given the opportunity to show mercy and doesn't. I, I just... Yeah, I just feel like they're also two, the only two men who show any real heavy emotion at all. Mm-hmm. Antonio, the first thing out of Antonio's mouth is how sad he is. Yeah. And he just mopes the whole time. Yeah. And and um, uh, Shylock is, is devastated by Jessica's betrayal. Yeah. So they really do have a lot in common. In calling the play The Merchant of Venice, the, the, the merchant is Antonio. But, I mean, you really are forgiven 
for viewing Shylock as the yeah. main character. Yeah. Because even though he's not a hero in any, you know, traditional sense, he's um he's got all the qualities of being the main character. Yeah. Really. Yeah. All the world's a stage. And all the men and women merely players. So the ending is also really important to talk about uh, because it is a it's a very big tonal shift. You know, there's this high drama. The words right out of my mouth. <laughs> there's this high drama in Act Four. Uh, the courtroom scene is super intense, and it's life or death, and it's you know there's a pound of flesh on the table. Um, and then Scene Five is like this weird denouement. Act Five. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, Act Five. Yeah. Um, it's this it's this strange uh, t- turn that. Um, is is very comedic in a lot of ways mm-hmm. um but it it's it's centered around some of the same issues that have been discussed it's yeah. it's love and lending and giving things that aren't yours and justice uh, and justice <laughs> exactly there's this whole thing about the rings that the the women gave the men uh before they ran off back to antonio and of course as the uh judge and clerk they asked for them uh from the man and they got them and then they give the guys a hard time afterwards because you gave, they gave my them, ring away you gave my ring how away. dare You're, you i'll only sleep with the person who has the ring now because i've got it you know and then yeah. they, they they reveal that in the end um but it, it's it's a for a play that was about love and marriage and uh, all these interconnected uh stories um the role of of what women uh, can do and how they do it is is yeah. actually another really interesting play. I remember when we were talking about our women of Shakespeare yeah. characters. I listed Portia. I think is my number one or two yeah. favorite character because yeah. because of the courtroom scene. She's amazing as this woman who outdoes all the men. Um, but she is really kind of a strange dynamic with her owing allegiance and she's under the contract of her father for the most of the play. Then she's under Bassanio's ownership. But she has this independent streak that comes out um, mm-hmm. and it plays with um, that whole idea of who owns who and what contract, you know, yeah. when she's the one giving the ring and then taking the ring. Um, and then holding the ring over her husband's head yes. without his knowledge. Yes. It's just, yeah. it's a, it's a different, it, it, it adds, it adds another layer to the story again, because you didn't have enough in the first four acts apparently. Um, <laughs> but it, it's. It, it changes her character a little bit. It's in keeping with the character that we've known thus far. Um, but it, it adds a, it adds a little, um, like a subtlety or a, yeah, a, I, a, a, sh- a shading. Yeah, exactly. It's, <laughs> it's a little softer side to her. You know, we've got her as the devoted daughter. We've got her as the clerk and we've got her a little bit as a lover. And now you get her as a married woman who's, still kind of in charge well she's aware of her power yes in a weird way even though she has no fight like the only power that anybody has in this play is through money yeah she doesn't have that anymore but she does have her womanly wiles and her wit and i was thinking of this while i was reading it this time is the fact that she could still be annulled at this point because they haven't slept together right so i'm wondering if that's part of that dynamic in that scene as well is the fact that she if she doesn't accept him to her bed then they're not technically married yet yeah even though they're married so you know like that that's an extra dynamic that she's she's threatening there um i mean she doesn't fall through with it obviously but it it's it's still it's her last vestige maybe of having her own independence and and the ring itself is so symbolic the i think 
I think it's Gratiano who who has a line about protecting his wife's ring, which is yeah. uh, the ring, the literal ring, but also yeah. her yeah. ring, yeah. and which he doesn't protect, he doesn't possess at any point in the play. Um, so the same holds for Bassanio. Like they they have their wives, but they don't. Yeah, and so they're allowed a little bit of leeway here. Um, but the fact that uh, that that they that the women are aware enough of that that they're able to play with that mm-hmm. um it even though the ending is this huge tonal shift from and it really is unsettling for a lot of modern audiences because you've just seen a man have his entire life decimated and then you go off to this double wedding banquet back in belmont and yeah. and life is peachy keen right yeah. um it is very unsettling but um it's uh, it's interesting in, in a lot of respects because it shows how powerful, I guess, the women are. And really, when you think about it, Jessica, her action in leaving her mm-hmm. father is what kickstarts his vengeance. Yeah. Because there there's maybe a possibility that um, the rumor of Antonio's ships being sunk, you know, there, there might have been some leeway, mm-hmm. you know. Maybe Shylock wouldn't have been driven to such frenzy had Jessica not left, yeah. had Jessica not absconded with the turquoise that yeah. Le- Leia had given Shylock. Um, and that's an action that I don't even think Jessica is aware that she has. So Portia and Nerissa are aware of the power they have over their husbands. Mm-hmm. I don't even know if Jessica has any awareness of it. And what I really loved about the 2004 production is that they show at the very very end jessica with the ring yes her own ring which is interesting because we've got rings being exchanged by the other two lovers and here's jessica not with a wedding ring but with the ring that her mother gave to her father um it's not in the play but it's an interesting callback to the exchange of rings before and the and Shylock's worry about Shylock's the monkeys. Shylock's worry about thing, the monkeys yeah. and and the the frivolity of Jessica and Lorenzo's life together. Yeah. Um, Leads to believe that maybe that was a lie in that production, right? And, like that and exactly, this was all just done to torture Shylock. Really. Exactly, and so um, it's all the things that happened back in Venice are things that Jessica has no awareness of. But the play does still end with Jessica, mm-hmm. and it does end on a conversation between her and Lorenzo where. Um, they talk about music, I think. No, that's earlier, where they're talking about music yeah. being... She can't... Wait, before they arrive, yeah. 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 But either way, like, I mean, having it end with Jessica, I think, is... Having it end with a woman. Mm-hmm. And, and a Jewish woman. Because yeah. she'll never be... I mean, they joke about it in the play. Lancelot, the, the uh, wayward clown servant character... Yes jokes that you know oh if if we convert all the jews the price of pork is going to go up because everybody's going to eat pork now and and it's just like she's never really going to be accepted she's also an outsider she'll never truly be accepted in in the christian society she's married into even though her husband has married her and made her a christian she's still you know the daughter of a jew yeah and that's that's something she can't get away from but she the power of the women in the in that last scene, or in that last act, is um, is is an interesting thing to to really consider. Yeah, I think. It, yeah, and it just adds to all the the. It just yeah, it, it provides a different uh, 
a different angle again for those same topics. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it's it's love, Jessica loving Lorenzo as well as the women yeah. loving their men. Um, the the whole ring thing is all about you know lending and ownership and yeah. uh, you know responsibility for other people's problems and stuff. Making love transactional. Yeah, exactly. Right? Like it's it's all these things, and it's just it's it's amped up in in a in a comedic way. I mean, I think I, I think it's it's important to recognize that that scene is supposed to be really funny. Again, yeah. the 2004 one was so somber that, yeah. you know, you were like, okay, guys, this is this is supposed to be the lighthearted part of the of the, of the the play. Uh, we're well, not really getting that Well, to be fair, Aiden, I don't think the 2004 production could afford lights. So, I mean, things <laughs> yeah, were they said that whole, Yeah, yeah it, <laughs> it was, was all lit very, it, it was natural light wherever possible. Yes, and, and they it shot dark. it at dusk and yeah, dawn, yeah. and that was it. Very interesting. Tra- I mean, it's worth watching. I mean, I think, Al Pacino does a, a really great job as Shylock, although it is... It's very Pacino. It's, it's distracting to see because you're like, it's Scarface. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but he, he, you know, he pulls it off in Jeremy Irons as, as Antonio. Yes. And, and yeah, there's quite a, a, a quite collection of yeah. character actors and... and um, yeah, British actors that you'll recognize yeah, in a lot of Yeah, of course. Case, so yeah. it's, it's, it's worthwhile, but it, interesting choices there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you're right. Like that, that final scene is comedic but it it's a hard comedic act to swallow yes because of what it follows yes yes that's a good way of putting it if i longer stay we shall begin our ancient and that's a great segue i think into our final uh segment here on the show yes um the ancient bickerings ancient bickerings this week is and uh, you have it written down in in fairly do you have it on your notes yes it's quite simple is The Merchant of Venice a comedy or go. a tragedy? Um, Lindsay, you're going to go first. I'm going to go first. Uh, I, I mean, I think it's a tragedy. Yeah. I think the play really? is a tragedy. I think um, it's hard. I, I see the ending. I see you ending. I, I see what you're doing there. I see what you're trying to do. But I just can't escape the gravity of what's happened. And I can't. I think of... of uh, Shylock is not a tragic hero, but he, he has a fatal flaw that that drives him to his own destruction. Mm-hmm. Um, and his end is not something that can be glossed over. It's not something that you can just patch up with a with a scene at the end of happy married couples. So I think it's it's not in the in the traditional sense of uh, tragedy because it you know. Well, it ends dies. with the marriage. Yeah. No, and and yeah, you're right. Nobody dies, but um, but there is a death. There's a there's a kind of a there's a spiritual death. And that sure. I think that's what makes it so complex is that it's not it's not easily categorized because and maybe that's just a modern reading and a modern take on it because um, we could we could have talked about the anti-Semitism of the play and whether or not this play is anti-Semitic or not, and there are a lot of people on both sides who argue that Harold Bloom says it is and you know it's it's a difficult play to grapple with mm-hmm. but but I think the fact that you even the fact that we're even able to talk about Shylock the way that we do signals to me anyway that Shakespeare was writing Shylock to be complex and mm-hmm. multifaceted and that this is not something you know we we barely touched on the Hath a speech. Yeah, I know. We hardly yeah, talked we about even it talked at about all. It. It's the most famous passage from this play, and the yeah, the best. It's absolutely <laughs> right. Um, but 
the fact that that is even there in the play and you know because we didn't talk about it we didn't get to discuss whether or not it's actually humanizing Shylock or whether it's just um suggesting that Shylock's behavior is a result of the dehumanization yes. that the Christians have forced because he does say is, yeah. you know I've I learned, learned from this you, from yeah. you and yeah. I will better the instructions so um it's it's but the fact that then it all comes back to the question of why are we talking about Shylock 400 years later? Yes. Because because his story is central to the story. Yeah. Everything else that happens is not as important. I don't care about Bassanio and Portia. Why does the play end with with them getting to I don't care. The the character I care about has already left the stage. Yep. He's gone. And I want to know what happened to him. He's the one who I'm thinking about. Yes. So the best productions that I've seen of this play circle back to that idea. The 2004 what? production with Jessica, the production we saw where he comes back out at the end. Yeah. Um, well, I think having Jessica on there is kind of Shakespeare's way of, of yeah. hinting at this, right? It's yeah. like this... You can't forget that that yeah, happened. exactly. This... this now newly Christianized family yeah, <laughs> of exactly. father and daughter are, are, are in this peculiar situation and they yeah. are uh, trapped in a world that's not theirs. Um, will never be theirs. And will never be theirs. And I think that's just a, yeah, it's just, it's a very telling. So even piece. if, even if um, Shakespeare, even if you allow the, the, or, or accept without a doubt that Shakespeare thought this was a, a, a justified merciful ending for Shylock and Jessica to both become Christians and therefore they're saved. If you allow for that, it still doesn't answer the question of of why we are so unsettled by the ending of the play. Yeah. Because we are. Yeah. And and even Shakespeare, I think, had to allow Jessica is not a happy character. I yeah, it's it, every production I've seen, she's at least hesitant. She's a little if not outright I mean, melancholic. There, there are, I think, the first one I ever saw, um, I don't remember when we watched it in school. Um, I think we went to see it in the theater. Or in a, yeah, in a playhouse. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was, in that one, uh, she was very, she did, like, she was giving away her jewels and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, spiteful. She was, yeah, no, and she was, yeah, exactly. She was just in love with uh, Lorenzo. Yeah. And she was like, yeah, money's, whatever. And you can play it that, way. You, you can. play it that yeah. way, right? Um, but every other production I've seen is is very much centered on this, where it's, it's Jessica is an outsider who's trapped now, being in this in-between place where she doesn't belong with the Christians and she can never yeah. go back to being uh, a Jew. So, you know, she, she's stuck. And I think that's why, sorry to get back to the topic here. Yeah, I know. Uh, I would say this is neither a tragedy oh, nor okay. a comedy. This is a problem play. This is the first yeah. problem play. This is the first romance, if you want to call them that. This is the first play that does not fit any mold. Um, and I think that's incredible because, you know, we've talked many times about how like a play like The Tempest or Winter's Tale is just full of this ambiguity mm-hmm. that um, just doesn't feel at home with, you know, the <laughs> Two Gentlemen of Verona and all these other early plays that have a very simplistic moral and uh, everybody's happy at the end or everyone dies at the end. Yeah. You know, this is where Shakespeare's really flexing his his writing muscle. Right. And uh, it's amazing to watch. And I, I'm so glad we've talked about this one because just talking with you now has just opened up so many more windows into yeah. how to read this play. It's it's really quite something you can really sink into for 
as long as you have time. And like we really. said, there are topics we didn't even touch on here yeah. that could be really like you could spend a whole hour and a half talking about just the anti-Semitism or yeah. just the treatment of women or just the the legal aspects. Yeah. Um, but it's, you know, it's 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 the first play I'm looking at our list now. It's the first play that we've talked about that I feel bad about. Yeah. And I think that that shows a great maturity, a maturing um, on the part of the playwright yeah. um, to be able to reach this place of yeah. of um, of moral ambiguity and and uh, uh, literary ambiguity. Yeah, and just character, you know, character like, ambiguity. Yeah, just in depth <laughs> characters that have yeah. all these facets and are faced with really incredible circumstances and react realistically and believably, yeah. and you feel for them. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. So I win. I guess. Yes. <laughs> Parting is such sweet sorrow that I shall say goodnight till it be morrow. Um, the next play that we are going to be... Dis- well, no, the next episode that we're yes. going to have is Shakespeare and the Law. Yes. Um, uh, again, numerous things that we could have brought up uh, to kind of relate back to The Merchant of Venice, but uh, it did seem like the legal aspects, there are a lot of things, um, comedy of errors... Uh, sorry, measure for measure yeah. has legal uh, mumbo jumbo in it. There's yeah. there's a lot of legal legalese and legal questions peppered throughout Shakespeare's um, oeuvre. Yeah, uh, even if we just wanted to talk about uh, killing all the lawyers, yes, as the first thing to do, um, we would have had enough to to talk about it yeah. in an episode. So I think that'll be an interesting topic um to discuss and fi- after that we've got the first part of henry the fourth yeah which is getting into hell, uh, hell, a few hell, other hell. amazing characters like uh prince hal who became henry the fifth yeah. falstaff yep. um some of the most memorable characters and memorable beloved characters falstaff yeah. is up there definitely, yeah, yeah queen elizabeth's favorite character yeah. he wrote an entire play just for him yeah. because everybody loved him so much uh so we're getting to some we're getting some good stuff yeah. as we as we head into the summer months here so uh yeah i think do you have any final thoughts or final words about uh today's podcast episode or nope. future topics that was that was a very fun episode it's a fun play to really dig into i if you, for some reason you've never seen it uh we actually found the uh, 2004 production on YouTube. I don't know yeah. how long it'll, it'll be we'll, up there. We'll link to, we'll link it, to it just it for in now. case. And, and then we'll also link to, we, I think it was the Thug Notes version of yeah, it, which was really so nice. entertaining yeah. as well. So, yeah. I mean, it, it's 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 one of those ones that I think it we borrow so much from Pound of Flesh, calling someone a shyster. Yeah. These are all things that come from from uh, Merchant of Venice. It's so steeped in, or our culture is so steeped in the the all of Shakespearean stuff. stuff. Yeah. But so much of it comes from plays like this yeah. that that it really is worth it to to look at. So we would really highly recommend it. And it's an easy read too. Yeah. So seek out a copy uh, or watch the play or do both ideally because the, really the best way to experience Shakespeare is to really experience Shakespeare. Yeah. Like not literally because he's been dead for a while but <laughs> you know watch the play or watch the production. I'm going to stop talking now because I feel like I'm just keep digging right please do please do all right you can find all our episodes on itunes spotify podbean youtube or wherever you get your podcast fix 
If you want to tell us what you think of Shakespeare, his plays, poems, or any of the topics we discuss, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us on Twitter, that's at the Bixpod, on Facebook at facebook.com slash thebixpod, or by email at thebixpod at gmail.com. That's our cue to exit.